the president, Donald frickin' Trump. Oh. Do you think he's going to get, do you think he's going to get impeached or not? Impeach Musil? Uh, like, I think he'll get impeached by the House. I was initially, like, scared. I was like, because I have, a, like, a really low degree of faith in the American public to, this is foreign policy, which the American public just consistently doesn't give a fuck about. Like, it's the deep-seated indifference and ignorance with when it comes to, like, foreign stuff is is really high. Uh, the American public doesn't, like, Follow that shit. They can't like, parse you, it very well. Yeah, Ukraine. Like, where is that? And like, the prosecutor was fired for not pursuing a case or not dropping a case against you know. And then Trump is so good at this. It's just the more complicated something is, just sort of like rolling it all into like a giant like snowball snowman of confusion, confusion and obfuscation and like, oh, I did it. No, you did it. You know, like, oh, who did it? But. <laughs> I don't know. The, I think it's a, the media just decides if something matters or not. And they're like the New York Times was like, this matters. This fucking all the other crimes like don't matter. But this like matters. And like then like the Democrats were like, oh, this matters, you know, and like I think he could have been in, like could have impeached him fucking day one over like any like there's like he does impeachable shit every day. So I was a little bit like I if I'm thinking why this uh, a person who isn't like extremely partisan against him would be thinking why this. But then everyone decided that this matters more. And so now I'm just doing the thing where I like wait till all the news cycles are over before I read about it. Cause like the day to day is pretty boring. What do you think? Yeah, it's all, it is kind of boring. And it is like, I think the, what you, your fear is that what you were articulating earlier, like that, that I think is how it's going to play out. Like they're oh, just going to obfuscate and confuse things. And so people are going to stay on, on, on whatever side or on the fence they were already like... on or on the fence or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think that the one positive of it is like, he doesn't like it. So as long and he's as kind of something... acting out and that's yeah. uh, like, Jim, uh, I think it's Jamel Bowie's like been tweeting about that. How the hopeful thing is that he gets into his own way and does this kind of impeachment cycle of like crazy shit. And that like the Republicans have to address the stuff that he does telling China to. Yeah. And the other good thing is like, it could be a two birds with one stone situation because the whole thing is going to shine a light on how fucking sketchy Joe Biden is and his whole family. And oh like, yeah. That's our, I think th- that's already like battleship already has been struck for sure. It is listing. <laughs> it is sure. listing. That's like, yeah. I mean, my man, Bill Maher pisses everyone off. Everyone hates him. He said that at the very beginning. He's just like crime or no crime. It's just too swampy. Like, why can't the children of famous politicians get a fucking real job? Like, why are you making six figures as a consultant for uh, a gas company in a notorious kleptocracy? Like, and it's it was the same. Like, there's so many things like Hillary did between when she was Secretary of State and when she ran for president. It's like, if you're going to run for president, just don't fucking do that. Like, yeah, it's not illegal, but you know how these media cycles work. Like, you just can't do that. You just have to not do that. Yeah. Narrator voice. She did them. Yeah. It's crazy, but they just think it's okay. That's how it works. You get socialized into that world, and they're like, this is the way things work. This is the way it operates. That's what I always talk to you about, like that line from Syriana. I knew, I knew that was coming. Yeah, because that's it's so true. It's like the reason we have laws against corruption is so we can be corrupt. You know exactly what you can't do, so you can be corrupt within those kind of boundaries. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. I get it. I, I never got it. Now, look, that, wow, that was cool. Now I get it. <laughs> okay.
born and raised in Tennessee. Born and raised in Tennessee. W N T W O O G. Dead my hood. Devil tree the street. Where you find the P to the I to the M to the P. Anyways, let's let's move on to Dicks. our topic. Dicks. Dicks, dude. Let's talk about the human male schlong dick wing yeah today our topic is circumcision and like this is something that has been percolating for a while it's We've been rising this. <laughs> it's, been, it's been coming up it's been filling with blood this throbbing and <laughs> the reason there's a number of reasons i think it'll become pretty clear oh um, my students don't hear this yeah uh, i think it'll become pretty clear like why we were interested in this in this topic as it kind of unfurls but it it's kind of just it it's a topic that like is at the intersection and this is like beyond our personal investment um as owners of dicks like that it intersects with so many different kind of contexts of things that like both of us are really interested in so we want to talk about like the the current discourse over dick males yeah it's gonna be so i'm done i'm done with the puns because i i just won't stop if i don't stop myself sorry yeah we should just yeah like just pepper it maybe once every 10 minutes like here and there but not overdo it yeah, so there's all sorts of like ways in which our interests like come into this phenomenon that's going on and and I think that is becoming more and more apparent which is like a public debate about male circumcision and whether it's needed, whether it should be outlawed in certain contexts and so we want to talk about like the various contexts and discourses that are involved with circumcision and the circumcision debate. And yeah, do a deep dive. And I think that like the first thing we should do is like come out right in the beginning and like talk about our own status. Like we are both Jewish people. We are both circumcised. I don't have any problem with with being circumcised myself. But at the same time, I do understand like not everyone needs to be circumcised, in my opinion. If people don't want to circumcise their kids, then that's fine with me. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, exactly the same. I mean, I just don't think that it should be prohibited by law. And I think it also, I think where a lot of this is going to come, because like the, the prospect of actual legal prohibition in the U.S. Is, is, is super, super low. Like they like tried it in San Francisco and like Jerry Brown as the governor, I think was like no fucking way. But I'm more interested in what attends the cultural energy behind people who say, even though there's no legal force behind it, people who say like, oh, this shouldn't be practiced or like, you know, like this, this should be either prohibited or like performed less, although those are, those are different. But what's the sort of cultural force and context propelling those conversations? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's absolutely right. And it's not just about like um, the legal question of whether it should be allowed, but also whether it should be connected with some kind of um, stigma socially like like if you circum yes circumcising being connected to being stigmatized yes yes circumcised like should should circumcised penises be considered like a marker of 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 difference and like also like inferior in some ways right right i don't think so i mean but yeah and like both of us i think i think both of us just feel like everyone should be okay with their dicks like as they are like we 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 definitely support body positivity and like we (laughs) think people should just accept themselves for who they are well Um, i don't i don't i I think guys with really long hair in santa monica i don't support that as much (laughs) but like everything else yes body positive for sure on the on the power 
Okay, so let's get let's get into this. So like the first thing we're going to do is talk about the various kinds of domains that are brought to bear in the circumcision debate. And uh, we're going to go one by one, kind of like increasing in complexity and like fraughtness. Um, but the first one and like, the most obvious one is the question of like the medical grounds for circumcision and the hygienic grounds for circumcision. So like circumcision is something that's been around for thousands and thousands of years. Like it predated Judaism, for example. I think yeah. I remember hearing at some point that it that originated in ancient Egypt and it was a hygienic practice, right? Well, I mean, it's it's t- I think it's tough to I'm not super familiar with like the ancient historiography on this, but it's tough to say if it was hygienic or not, at least in the context of both ancient Israelite religion and most of its neighboring Canaanite religions, most of them practiced it. And I bet, at least based on the Israelite example, that the justification wasn't medical or health. It was like some sort of ritualistic, you know, justification. Right, but also but retrospectively, in, we're probably like, oh, there's probably some smart ass like priests figured this out, and we're like, this is healthier in this time and place that we live, or something. Yeah, and also there wasn't such a huge distinction between hygiene and like religious purity, right? I mean, like, oh, yeah, there's true. a big theme in like Judaism of being like outer cleanliness is parallel or analogous to like inner religious purity, and you can see that in the way they deal with like women's like reproductive systems as well, like the whole. The way they treat menstruation, you know, like and, menstruation, well, also and semen, de- dead bodies, and and that's part of what post-structuralism figured out is that that's pretty the taboos around purity and impurity are kind of cross-cultural. In, Absolutely, you know, yeah. And then okay, what else did I want to say? But hygiene, yeah. So hygiene. So but then anyway, so like circumcision, you know, it became in in the Hebrew Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, the almost like the the foundational point of not Judaism, but like a specific, like the Hebrew religion is like, God says to Abraham, circumcise yourself. And that's a sign of my covenant with you and your descendants, right? And so like you and your descendants are all going to circumcise yourselves. And that's the mark that that shows that you're a part of this community, right? And And so then after that, also Muslims kind of took that on as a common practice. It's not as like universal in, in Islam. It's not like a... Um, well, I think you might like more when you do it isn't as universal, like the eight days in Judaism versus... I'm pretty sure it's universally practiced, but it's not in the Quran, it's in the Sunnah. Okay, yeah. So it's like not as... The, the basis of it is... It's still... I mean, the Sunnah is still very important to, to Muslims. So yeah. Um, so it's so it's more or less universally practiced in in Islam. Um, it was not practiced by Christians. Um, this is a very important point, right? Like one of the, the the big turning points in Christian history was when Paul, who was the um, evangelist who like went out to the Gentiles and preached the good news, he said, "You should be circumcised." in the in your hearts not like in your bodies which um, is which in, in that term the circumcision of the heart goes all the way i think it's even in deuteronomy it, it goes back to i'm calling it like the academic term ancient israelite religion which is like what we would say judaism in the ancient world you know but like yeah. he he took that verse and that terminology and, and used it as like a kind of wholesale substitution for the ritual act mm-hmm. and and but he was specifically speaking about how Gentiles would be 
accepted into the new covenant, which is instead of the covenant being between the, the Jewish people, the Israelite people, and God through circumcision, that Christ offered a universal covenant to all mankind that was not through the body, but through the spirit. I mean, I'm Absolutely. simplifying, but that's kind of, these are like important terms to get out there because we're going to kind of probably come back to that a, a, a ton. That like, yes. like Christianity is in, in many ways, its entire self-definition is forged over the rejection of circumcision. Yes, absolutely. Um, and that's going to come up much more later. But back to the hygienic question. For many, many centuries, Christians in the West did not practice circumcision. But in the modern period, it basically became almost universal, especially in the United States to circumcise boys right after they were born for hygienic reasons. It's easier to keep it clean uh, if you don't clean it. If you're uncircumcised and you don't clean it, then you can have all sorts of problems. And in addition to that, there are in certain pretty rare cases issues that you can have with your foreskin. So so at some point, there just became a kind of consensus, like everyone should be circumcised. Right? Well, there was also this weird Victorian pseudoscience that thought that foreskins made you masturbate more and mm-hmm. they thought that masturbating was like literally bad for your health and i think like the i could be wrong about this but the like founder of like kellogg cereal or like one of the two cereal that like a lot of like really important like american industrialists in like the late 19th century were really into like the anti-masturbation stuff yeah like graham crackers were supposed to be like this wholesome food and there was somehow it was he was somehow was somehow curb. connected to yeah curbing like masturbatory bad news graham impulses. it don't work yeah. nothing works yeah. <laughs> nothing works for that the boys but, are eating their s'mores at they're eating their s'mores yeah at you don't want to know going what back to their bunks <laughs> But yeah, that there was, I think what you're getting at just is that in the Jewish world, the Muslim world, and quite a handful of other non-Christian, non-Western religious cultures, it was the norm. And in the Christian West, it was not the norm until like the late 19th, early 20th century, especially in the US, and then it became a medical norm. And I, I was just going to like jump on to the, like what we know about the, not just hygiene, but it. also like yeah. the health. Yeah. So, like, basically, you know, this is, like, fiercely debated because it's a, you know, a really, like, lightning rod of a topic, you know, for the partisans on both sides. And and that in and of itself, I think, is something we're going to discuss is, like, why do people get so riled up in both directions? But it seems like the medical literature will say that there's basically, like, a small advantage to doing it in a modern, I don't want to say, like, westernized health environment. But the UN and Bono were promoting it a lot because it reduces rates of HIV infection and STIs. And so in sub-Saharan Africa, where like HIV infection rates can be as high as like a third of the population, like the UN got really behind circumcision as like along with other, you know, forms of, you know, condoms and stuff as like a means to lower sexually transmitted disease rates. Yeah. Um, so basically, the, the the what it does is it like reduces the possibility that if you're a man and you and you have sex with someone who has who, who has HIV, it reduces the your chances of getting infected, right? Because like the the area between the the foreskin and the glands is like, if it's not glands. like really well cleaned, like is a place where a kind of infection can take hold. Right. I mean, we we both did a lot of reading on this, and like, the more it got into like dick, blood cell anatomy, the more I was like, skip, skip, skip. Just I mean, I read it, but like, I think you're right, but I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then you you brought up so so yeah so the basically the the point is like there has been research done on the on the public health benefits of a universal universal practice of male circumcision, but it's like mainly in yeah mainly in like sub-Saharan Africa and um, in places like where the AIDS crisis is 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 much worse, and it also like brings up the the problem of cultural imperialism, Me- medical imperialism use, or something. Yeah, medical imperialism where you go in and it's like. Oh, like the white saviors go in and say, oh, we're going to like chop off part of your dick, like to all <laughs> these, you know, non-white people. It And it like brings back memories of like all sorts of horribly misguided public health or whatever kind of like interventions in bodies of, you know, no, non-Western subjects. subjects, right? but subjects. Yeah. 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 And I, although I do think for that, like, yeah, that comes up. I, I you know, I'm not super, super well-versed on the, beyond what I've already said on like the UN circumcision for STI purposes, prevention. I mean, I know that they've said that some of, they've done some research in like Uganda and they're like, well, we can't compare that to research in, let's say England, because the baseline of STI infection rates were so different to begin with. So it's hard to like come up with conclusive research when like that you're starting from such different places as far as like how much it reduces it, especially for like certain infections that are like, you know, almost like virtually eliminated in like the UK or the, or the US or something, you know, does yeah. it reduce it if it's already less of a risk in the general population? But as far as the medical imperialism thing, you know, super important, but I think that that can slide into, I mean, would we say that like the polio vaccine or the smallpox vaccine, like the fact that there is, it's smallpox is the one that we've like eradicated, right? Or have we eradicated both of them? For the, um, uh, the whole yeah, world. Smallpox, smallpox, is, smallpox is for eradicated, sure. I think, sure. yeah. You know, so like, is that, is that a bad thing? Like, or do we want to be on the side of that we should still have smallpox so that we don't have the power relations of international organizations that are like led by the West, which also kind of erases a lot of like the agency that I'm sure goes on in, you know, I, I have like a friend who does aid work in South Sudan and Somalia and in Uganda, not in this area at all. His is like crisis and conflict stuff. So I'm not putting him on the record about circumcision. But the thing that a lot of people forget when they like start talking shit about like international aid organizations, most aid workers in sub-Saharan Africa are sub-Saharan Africans. They're local people. Like most humanitarian workers are not someone who's like flown in from Paris or London. You know, like that tends to be like the top of the pyramid of these organizations, which are often not actually on the ground, but the on the ground workers are often, you know, doctors and nurses from and of the communities I mean, not that that inoculates against imperialism, but then the other thing I was going to say about that, though, is that, again, this becomes this like lightning rod. There's like so many forms of global imperialism, especially in the form of like culture and technology that we don't Mm. get really bent out of shape about. But I think that the one about bodies, it's so easy to understand. It's so visible and measurable, like hey, you went in and like stuck this syringe into this person or like chopped off this part of their dick, as opposed to like how do advertisements in sub-Saharan Africa cultivate desire for certain Western forms of beauty or Western forms of technology or Western forms of exchange like capitalism? That's so much more like subtle and, you know, like systemic and invisible that it's like harder to object to it. But it's, you know, even if we didn't have like universal vaccine campaigns or, or like circumcision campaigns, like imperialism would be going quite strong and doing a lot of negative things. That's my only point about that. For sure, for sure. Okay, so moving on to the next context that we have here 
is the legal context of it. And so basically, the way people talk about it um, is in terms, of course, of consent. So the question is, I mean, obviously, an infant is not able to consent to a procedure that is going to change his body for the rest of his life, right? Irreversibly. Well, we'll talk about whether how reversible it is um, later on. But and this is the kind of thing around consent where it's like trying to capture so much in one little kind of word or concept that doesn't really capture a lot of the nuance of the question. So so basically, I think that you and me would both agree, like it's like consent is not a particularly compelling like frame for understanding this whole topic. But it is one that opponents of circumcision do focus quite a bit on. Yeah, I mean, and just to bring up like a few of the critiques of the con- like, so I, there's an article I found. Yeah, I took a look at it by this philosopher at the London School of Economics named Joseph Mazor, who ends up he's going from the a, like a purely moral philosophy. I mean, he, obviously, like science, it's a part of in the scientific method is like part of the moral philosophy, but. Uh, he talks about the right to self-determination and autonomy, and that if you really follow it through, there's not a strong case for that because we abridge infants and children's right to autonomy like all the time, including like autonomy to their body. And mm. so like as far as unalterable changes, vaccines unalterably change your body. And again, it's a lot easier to be like, oh, you had that part of your dick and now you don't. But like you can never be unvaccinated for whatever the costs and benefits of vaccines are you can you know it's that's also irreversible he talks about like cleft palate surgery which is something that has like no medical utility it's purely like aesthetic yeah aesthetic cosmetic you know but in certain cultural conventions people say oh i i don't want my kid to look different and in this culture looking different is a negative and so they unalterably you know, they irreversibly like violate that child's autonomy to you know reconstruct parts of the face, and so like the most interesting example to me he gave was about math homework. I don't know if you got to that, which is basically like, and and this is different because we're not talking about the body, although I think there's like some neurology stuff you could bring in. Yeah. yeah. So we don't say to kids, we're not going to teach you math until you've reached the age of majority, and you can decide for yourself if you want to learn math. We could do that. We could say like. They have autonomy and we can't force them to do their math homework. We can't punish them and give them detention or whatever forms of punishment that we implement because that violates their autonomy. And so we violate their autonomy and we say you have to learn math and we're going to impose consequences if you don't. Because if we waited till people reach the age of majority to teach them basic addition subtraction, learning that at 18 is both cognitively more difficult and also just based on where the rest of the society is relative to that knowledge, it puts them at a greater disadvantage than violating their autonomy and forcing them to learn it at like age eight or nine or 10. So part of what he's talking about is it's like, we're not talking about the, when you're, especially with like a neonatal decision, either you give the infant autonomy and, and because it can't exercise that autonomy until it's an adult, it, you don't violate it. You don't circumcise, you don't do anything to the body, but it's a different choice with circumcision, there's a lot more health risks once you've reached the age of like 18. Yeah. So if you're going to do it anyway, and if that child is likely to end up making that choice anyway because of its, say, religious culture or something, it is better to violate, like the, he's like, the cost of violating the autonomy is less than the cost of imposing an adult circumcision on the same subject w- with autonomy. 
Does that make that's sense? A great, that's a great segue to the next context, which is the religious context, right? But so, what do you think of that just on a logical level, bro? It's like, it's, it's, it's a little bit much to wrap my head around because like for the most part, what we're talking about is like the people we're talking about who are pissed off that they're circumcised. And this is basically like, this is the source of all the, the, the hubbub is like men <laughs> who grow up and are pissed off that they are missing part of their the dicks, dick right? different. So, so like those guys for the most part are like not people who it's so much more common. That's the whole thing is like, it's so much more common. Maybe it's not, maybe this is a noisy minority. I mean, it is a noisy minority, but like guys who are circumcised just as a kind of rote, like everyone does it kind of decision. And then experience some kind of regret about that. Then people who grow up uncircumcised and then are like, well, Oh, I want to be, I want to be Jewish. So I'm going to, I'm going to do it. But but he's not talking about them. He's, but he's imagining if there were a world where, let's say there's a sizable Muslim or sizable Jewish population in a given country, yeah. and that country makes it illegal, those, because they, the country says, Muslim and Jewish parents, you're violating your child's autonomy, and that's not allowed. Yeah. A lot of those kids, that, that is not the case now, but well, other than in Germany, which I don't know what the current status of that would be. A, I see what you're saying. It would be a big burden on, on Muslim and Jewish men because they would have to go through adult circumcision, which is much um, in order to more join risky. the religious yeah. community, which is more risky. Yeah. And, but he's also saying that there's even a case, but all of this he's saying even applies to secular people because even though the, the marginal, the benefit is small, the cost is so low at the neonatal stage versus yeah. at any other stage. And he, all he's saying is that we don't assess the costs of things purely in terms of not violating the, I'm calling it autonomy. You had another word for it. I don't like know. Free will. I don't know. Yeah. Like, consent, of like the consent. Yeah. We don't, most of our decisions about child rearing are not based on consent. And so I'll give you another example that which is, has nothing to do with religion. It's like language instruction. If yeah. you choose to uh, immerse your child in language instruction at a, a young age, their brain... As like, we are, Leo's in German classes every Saturday now. And his mother speaks to him in German, you speak to him in yeah. English, and yeah. little, little Pischer can speak in both and understand <laughs> it both. God bless him. Um, but you know, if you said, you know, Hey, we can't impose this on him. He's not consenting to be bilingual. Like let's wait and find out what 18 year old Leo decides his yeah. brain. I mean, will... Non-consensual. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know. true. And like non-consensual stuff is happening to both of my kids many, all the time. many times a day. Yeah. Every and time. That's true. And like, and that stuff can have, can be irreversible in certain yes. ways, right? It's not yes. as visible necessarily as a, a missing body part. But yes, I, I see what you mean. And that is like, it is a very interesting topic. But I do want to move on to okay. uh, to religion because it is a great, it's a great segue. Like it, it, it matches up in parallels pretty well because, so the whole question is, and, and what I would say the opponents of, of circumcision argue is that, okay, there are obviously religions that require circumcision for male members and that's fine but they need to be of an age where they can consent to this procedure so that means they have to be adults when they when they get circumcised and so the whole kind of question is between like the rights of 
religious minorities. It's all, it's, it tends to be yeah minority religions because this is mainly like Western countries where they where they're talking about where the Christianity is the majority. Yeah, secular Christian, secular Christian. Christians all the same. Yeah, so it's kind of this 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 funny intersection that we keep finding between people being secular but also having a very Christian understanding of what religion is. So yeah, it's it's the idea of like forcing Jews and Muslims basically to decide. Um, when they're 18, whether they're going to be a Jew, because a religion is supposed to be something that a like kind of autonomous, neutral subject adheres to and like decides, I believe, you know, this list of beliefs, and that makes me a Muslim or a Hindu or a Christian. And that's, you know what yeah, I mean? and, and what you're saying is that everything you're saying is how the secular Western subject views religion. Absolutely, so right? <laughs> and that is like, it goes back to, you know, Paul, who's yeah. saying he's saying he's going to these Gentiles who's like, you've never been Jewish in your life. We know I know that like this Christianity thing, this like looks like a Jewish, like a movement within Judaism. But like, actually, you as like thinking rational, like maybe not rational, but like as well, you have a subject, you have a soul. Like, like here's some yes. good news. You didn't know about yeah. it. You have a soul. And it was given to you by this awesome thing called Christ. Yeah. So like that's that's their model for understanding what religious identity is. So they can't understand that a religion can make a claim on its members that goes beyond like this kind of free will and choice of belief and faith. You know what I mean? Yeah. A claim that's so a lot of people are like, I'm down with like a a sort of moderate secular position is like, yeah, religion, it's okay as long as we're talking about thoughts and beliefs but as soon as that religion starts to do things to the physical body, I'm not okay with that because religion is permitted to operate in this in certain spheres. It's circumscribed, like sphere, right? Circumscribed within the sphere of, of, of thought and consent, but it's, um, it is prohibited from acting on, on the body, which is... So I, I, can I like read this thing from this thing that you sent me that was dope? Yes. So is this writer named Karen Neutel on the imminent frame? I didn't know the imminent frame still going. So that's tight. That's like a, it's like an academic blog kind of. Yeah. It's part of the, what is it? Part of the social sciences research council. And it's called the imminent frame after um, a famous term from what's the guy's name? Fuck. I'm forgetting. We'll cut this out. No. Um, It's called from, it's, it's, it's from this guy, this book called the secular age. Oh, Um, Taylor. Charles Taylor. I was going to say Charles Johnson, but that's someone else. Yes. Uh, so it's from this. Yeah, it's from A Secular Age by Charles Taylor. And go ahead and read from it. Okay, but this isn't Taylor. This is uh, Karen Noidle. <laughs> and right so sh- she's saying, so she kind of gives the view that Max was saying, which is in the secular view, the uncircumcised body is seen as religiously neutral, uh, while circumcision res- represents an illegitimate religious mark on a body that is as yet religiously undefined. So in this view, the body isn't, def- it doesn't belong to your, the religion. But that is a, that is a Christian hyphen secular view. And what she counters with is defining religion, this quote again, as individual belief excludes many other possible ways of understanding religion, including more collective and identity focused views that see religion as akin to family, ethnicity, race, or nationality. A lot of religions believe that you are born in your entire corporal self is now in that religion. It's not something that you, it waits until yeah. you become a grown up or you say this or that. 
it it is already your body already is identified identified with that much in the way that we think of like race like you're born and then you're in that race it's like uh, yeah, yeah. So, so so basically that's why um, this is such an important freedom of religion question. So the, so uh, circumcision opponents say, well, it's not a freedom of religion because people are free when they're adults to get circumcised and join those religions. But as you were just saying in the previous section on consent and bodily autonomy and everything, it's actually quite a big burden to undergo that kind of procedure as an adult, right? It's much easier to do it with an infant. But that actually brings up, maybe we should talk about the psychology part of it now Mm. just a little bit, because like there is this idea that actually these infants, it's not easy for the infants and they're actually experiencing a trauma that's going to echo throughout the rest of their life, right? I feel like we should flesh out out the post-secular perspective on this just a little bit more while we're while we're at it no? yeah sure if you have a, if you have a spiel um no i mean spiel now. i think like once you are in it the post-secular critique it's like everything is quote-unquote obvious but it's really really hard because i've been having this conversation with some people leading up to this episode it's like really hard for people who haven't either been exposed to or like bought into the post-secular critique to understand that the idea of a neutral body that is violated if a religion does stuff to it, that that is, that, that that is not natural, that that is cultural, and that is just as cultural as religions that believe that the body is born into a religion. Mm. Basically, people have in the West, in America, have, probably in Western Europe too, such deep-seated lack of understanding about, I guess you would call it kind of the epistemology or the ontology of the non-christian body like Mm. if you could say more about that yeah well that's interesting let me think that the body isn't just like a blank canvas i mean the way christianity i mean so 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 going back to this um essay in the imminent frame by karen noitel i was actually reading this again and remembering when i first read it Oh, it's actually only a year ago, but I feel like I read something else about circumcision. I mean, I, I feel like it was really like, it really clarified a lot of the things that I had been like germinating in my mind about like secularism and I put it in a, in a very succinct, in a succinct and like systematic way. Mm. So I would, I, maybe we'll like include a link um, in the, in the description and people can read it. Cause it really, I think like, she nails out, it, I oh, think. Yeah a lot of the things that like we think about and it like actually illustrates a lot of the things I was trying to articulate in our, on our episode about terrorism and the, hmm. the, the previous episode. And so, yeah. So like the way, like, as she points out, you know, Paul was just saying like what Paul was saying about circumcision of the heart was basically saying to Gentiles, like, look, it's, it's more important. Circumcision is fine, but like, it's more important for you that you, you do this other aspect of it that Jews also do. You know what I mean? Like the internal part is like inherent in the external act of circumcision. It's like, it's a mark of so much so that the external is superfluous. Yeah. Right. So like, you don't have to do it, but it was only later when like Christianity developed to be a Gentile majority religious movement that it became that this kind of like anti-Jewish emphasis came to the fore where it became a polemical thing of like defining yourself against religious practices that focused on the body and on, on and on like the world. Right. And like it's like we're a spiritual religion. 
And so in a sense, like this, this idea of like withdrawing from the material world in Christianity and saying we're focused on the spirit, we're focused on the world to come, it opens up this sphere for like secularism eventually, you know, many centuries later, but it still retains this polemical opposition to supposedly worldly religions like Judaism and Islam. And that's where this kind of focus on, and that like there are all these discourses uh, and uh, and polemics about like Jewish sexuality and, and Muslim sexuality. And like you see it later on in imperialism with all this, this focus on like the sexual practices of like colonial people, colonialized people. It's like these people are like, have these weird like hypersexual. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, yeah, they, they do weird things to their bodies, which we are smart enough to know that you shouldn't do because it's superstitious to do shit to your body that you don't quote unquote right. need to do. It doesn't matter, right? Like that's the whole it thing. It doesn't like, matter. Like yeah. St. Augustine, like St. Augustine in, in City of God, like in the first chapters, he's talking about how Rome was sacked by barbarians after becoming Christian. And a lot of people said, well, that proves that the Christian God isn't powerful because he let this happen, right? And he's like, even though Christians were slaughtered and their bodies were defiled and like not buried properly, it doesn't matter because God has the power to like bring them back. So like even focusing on these questions of like proper burial and like the when like burial's mutilation huge of bodies, in Islam and in Judaism right. and in Hinduism, but it's like Christianity is kind of like, eh. It is. I mean, it still is like for the most part, but that's like probably coming from some kind of like cultural substratum. But like Mm. in orthodoxy, like there's there's much more like at least in in St. Augustine, which is like something that I've actually read. I mean, he's saying like it actually in the in the end, when you think about it, it doesn't really matter because, you know, if your body was was torn apart and like buried all over the the city of Rome, like it doesn't matter because God can put you back together when he resurrects you, you know? And that is like... like, Game, set, match, bitches. Anything else? (laughs) It is a fair point, but in any case... um, Well, okay, so... so, Wait, sorry, can I just say one thing? Yeah, go ahead. about, About the bodies. Because it is, I mean, this is like many of the same types of conflict battle lines are drawn about halal and kosher slaughtering, which is, again, has to do with these practices on the bodies of animals, again, very worldly practices, practices that say what you do, what you put in your body, what you do with the bodies that exist in the world, the corporal bodies, that that matters religiously is really deeply unacceptable in a certain level to, to Christianity and to secularism. And yeah. Yeah, actually, a lot of Belgium just passed some kind of regulation that is um, banning like uh, slaughter of of livestock that haven't been stunned, and that's like obviously against um, halal and kosher laws. So it's basically going to make kosher and halal meat illegal in Belgium. And as we know, like Belgium has a sizable, both a sizable Muslim and a sizable, you know, Jewish. Yeah, uh, we also snatch Benicio del Toro. He's a (laughs) Belgian Jewish diamond dealer, gambling addict. But like and diesel too, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that, I mean, that's like you know, Western European countries. I feel like it's always coming up because it's in like the Jewish press that I grew up like reading. And it's like, oh my god, this is you know, do you know in Norway? There, but no, it's it's really important. It's really interesting because I think a lot of people don't appreciate how strong the taboo against embodied religious practice is. Obligatory em- em- embodied religious practice 
and the idea that 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 there's a that, that the world is kind of neutral and that you violate that neutrality when you start to invest the objects of the world with transcendent religious significance that that I mean, like, I'll call it a prejudice and the history of it, you know, like the, I don't know, the people campaigning in like Santa Monica or San Francisco to ban circumcision probably aren't thinking in terms of this history. But like in, in some of the articles you were sending me from the imminent frame, like it, there was an enormous literature in the early modern period in the, they were saying, I think like 16th through 18th century, where like kind of early anthropologists, so to speak, from the Christian West, like Christian you know, scientists. Yeah, this is what I was talking about. Would yeah, go, go to Jewish communities in Europe and like write these reports back that would be like, oh my God, it's like disgusting, all this like weird shit that they do. Like, first of all, they mutilate their dicks at the beginning of their life and blah, 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 blah. And so it was like, it's important to give that history. I mean, we're in this moment now where I think we're getting a lot better at historicizing the racist imperialist backgrounds to contemporary discourse. And this one has a really, really bad background. That, yeah, that but I mean, at the same time, like the it's argument, become, but. but at the same time, it's become like completely universal. So that's why it's like such an interesting topic, right? Well, it's universal like, in the a, U.S., not in Europe. Right, right, right. But almost like, but like very common and like it's something that happens all the time and, and became almost like in the medical sphere it almost became like, the default they tried to make it neutral like the neutral body is a circumcised is, yeah, body yeah and i would say it got reversed but but yeah, in, and, in and, Britain, and to be fair the, to be fair yeah. like in in america like it is it is still considered the norm like aesthetically to be circumcised so like there could be i mean i i do yeah, want to totally. be clear that like there men who are uncircumcised in america might deal with some sort of stigma in certain times like it, it, uh, in certain cases I'm just and I, say I don't it. think that's okay there was an uncircumcised boy in my jewish day school and we fucking made fun of him a lot and that's not <laughs> cool and i get that you know that's you know yeah. shouldn't to have a normative body and then like if i like our exceptions to that norm are you know, focused on in, in all this kind of stuff. But I would say you could flip this really easily because like we were reading in, in The Guardian, it said that like the UK, Australia, New Zealand, and there's a few other countries like don't, like it's the opposite. Like it is the, the default is not to circumcise and it's not covered by health That's insurance. True. And it all basically has That's to do true. with like if you have socialized medicine and if they cover it, but. Yeah, interesting. And by the way, speaking of places where it's not the norm, my wife's cousin is a urologist in Switzerland where it's not the norm. And he said, unprompted to me, <laughs> like, oh, you're circumcising your son, that's great. I'm like, really for that? Because he sees, he said, he sees lots of issues. Oh, um, like as a urologist, okay. Yeah, so that was like interesting and surprising to me because I actually I, I actually accept, accepted what I was reading, which is that like, oh, there's basically no medical benefit to it. Yeah, but like negligible like, benefit. Who knows? I mean, I don't know. It's like hard to say. It's really hard to come down on one side or the other with it. But let's move on to, to the sex part because that's the like psychology really, stuff. really like the sex and psychology, let's say. Let's, let's put them together. That's like really important here. And I think it has to do with the, the reason why it's coming up um, it's coming to the fore in this decade, I would say, is like it has to do with this kind of crisis of like male, like masculinity and male sexuality. And so like there's there's basically mm. like two, like the main thing about circumcision, one of the main things about circumcision that that opponents complain about is that you lose sensitivity, right? So the idea is the foreskin 
the part that's cut from your body yeah. contains some in incredible number of nerve endings, right? So the idea is like, if you remove it, then you're losing some kind of amount of sexual pleasure, right? And then there's a second aspect to it, which is not as common, but it's not as like prominent, but it also is there, which is that like people, women or anyone who is like having sex with a man who has a penis, right? Some of them might prefer to have sex with with an uncircumcised man because like that's how it was originally supposed to work. And like there's a more of like a smooth sliding motion as opposed to just like friction like sound like sledgehammer or sledgehammer jackhammer kind of um aspect to it right so so i have some things to say about both of those like sides of it and i'll I'll just go through and say it and then and then let you go off so like in terms of loss of sensitivity i would say like i've read about men who have gotten circumcised as adults and they don't report much difference at all they're like i can't really tell basically and I kind of believe that because the idea of sexual pleasure as like an arithmetic equation, like I have this many nerve neurons firing yeah. off at this point, it really like escapes me. Like you, like at the end of the day, like I think of, I think I would think of like Annie Hall, which is like Woody Allen, like you know he's canceled and everything, but he does have the line in Annie Hall where like the woman says to him, "Oh, I had an orgasm once, but my doctor said it was the wrong kind," and he's like. Really, because like everyone I've ever, every orgasm I've ever had was like just right. So like the the point is sexual pleasure is not an, uh, an arithmetic function of your nerve endings. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. And like the, the act of sex, like does it like reducing it to that kind of math equation is like very unconvincing to me that like the idea that people are like missing out on some kind of experience like I just don't I just don't buy it. And then in terms of the kind of performance loss or the idea that you're like less adequate as a lover if you if you're circumcised is like that's actually like fine to me. Like actually some like some people might prefer to have partners that are uncircumcised and it's like to me Acor- that's okay. According to I these guess- days people prefer like all kinds of shit. Right? Yeah. Isn't no, that the moral like of the are- present? People are free to have their preferences. That's what I think. If there's pe- if there's like a bunch of people out there who like don't like circumcised penises, then I'm like, okay, well, like add it to the list of why you might not like me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's how I feel about that. But I mean, I do think it's like the, the, the latter part, I, I do understand that that might actually exist in, in reality. It's not some kind of like weird projection of people's insecurities. But yeah, but it's also like debatable in, in the article that I, I was quoting from earlier, the medical journal article, or no, it was the philosophical article. They were talking about like, well, imagine if like they made some operation made like sugar slightly less sweet to you, you know, or something like, I don't know. I mean, there's a certain thing with like sensations are so tied up in your perception, which gets to like m- mental and psychological stuff. And I don't know, like, isn't sex kind of like infinite and indescribable at the end of the day isn't it like that's the whole thing with orgasms and stuff is like you to try to put that into words or numbers you know it will fail and everyone who's ever tried ends up like writing like poetry and pop songs you know like (laughs) tough to know that's exactly what i'm trying to say tough to pin that down that yeah yeah 
I, I'm with you on that. But like, yeah, you had another point, I think, that we were going to get to about the, the psychology, psychology the, the, I mean, emasculation, that the like, masculinity aspect. I, like, I'm interested what, like, where you're going with that. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the one, one of the, the key things I've noticed and that, that is driving this whole phenomenon of like anti-circumcision, which is the profound sense of loss and like kind of absence that these men are feeling and that they report and that they identify, they identify their circumcision as the source of this feeling. Right. And, and I get the sense that there's a lot of men in our society that are like lonely, that are unfulfilled. They and they feel... should all go online and look up videos about how they feel. <laughs> yeah. And they, they're trying to, they feel inadequate, they feel insecure, and they're trying to identify like, why do I feel this way? And I think that it's one of those things. It's like sometimes people latch people latch onto different things, right? People latch onto different explanations yeah. for their for their dilemmas, uh, for their predicaments. And these, I think, there's a lot of men who decide that their circumcision is the source of their. It's like the baseline trauma. So it's not only like the trauma of the act, like of the thing that was done to them. But then it's like the continued inadequacy, the continued insecurity. They they project that. Pro, not I'll never get those it. nerve endings back. Right, right. So they transfer it onto their missing foreskin, the phantom foreskin. I call it. Right. It mm. is the. There's an academic monograph. Yeah, it is imbued with this kind of power. Like it is their missing potency. Right. Mm. Yeah. And it's like the explanation for everything. And it's like if I. If I had my foreskin, I would be complete, right? Not only bodily, but like psychologically, uh, sexually, everything, romantically. And look, I sympathize with with these people, with these men who who feel unfulfilled. I don't want to like diminish their experience, but obviously, I think that there's some kind of like it's a it's a it's a insufficient explanation for why they feel mm. that way. And like the focus on sexual pleasure, like is especially like, it's, a, it's particularly not um, convincing to me, right? Because it's like, if you had, if, your if you could increase my sexual like pleasure by 20%, I would be, I would be well adjusted and fine. But my life is fucked because I'm missing that. You know? Yeah, it's it's like it's crazy, right? I mean that that idea is crazy, and like so so basically it is like it is very Freudian. It's it's a semi castration, right? That they feel that they experienced as infants, right? And so that has like echoed throughout the rest of their life. I got news for you, everyone of these guys. <laughs> Freud says, guess what? You were even without that, you were symbolically castrated, like any, the first time your father told you no. So tough. Yeah, we're tough. all castrated. Yeah, tough. Even, uh, Cookies. Even the foreskin havers have been have been castrated. The the foreskinned. I mean, I think it's interesting. Like, I agree with you about that. I just, I mean, the fact that it's such a lightning rod, that it's such a battle, like a symbolic battleground. I mean, of course it is because we live in a phallocentric society, the world over, with like very few exceptions here and there over the course of time have all been like obsessed with the penis and phallocentric and patriarchal. So, mm -hmm. like, not surprised. People are obsessed with this, but it's just interesting. Like, like again, there's been different periods in my life where this has been a thing where like people I knew were talking about it. Like one time, one of my best friends was like working on maybe doing a documentary about it. And so he was talking about it. And then just because we hung out, it would just be a thing that would get brought up in front of different groups of people. 
and the way people would just throw down so hard on this issue where it was like there's all these other things that are done to the body to other parts of the body that everyone just like doesn't even think twice about you know like piercings and you know that like like well what about girls who get their like ears pierced you know when they're like babies which happens and so you know yeah. a zillion a zillion examples but it all goes back to the dick in this <laughs> it, it does in this i mean it's like it's dumbass it's, patriarchy yeah no but i mean i think that like the, so that's well i, I think oh. is the case is like we're we're experiencing a, a kind of crisis in in masculinity and it and it explains like so much the dick lash what's going wrong the dick lash it's so much of what's going wrong like right now in this present moment yeah it's like connect it's like you have this like we have this figure of like trump who's like at the <laughs> same time this figure of for some people complete potency and just virility that's the way they see him and then from the other side he's like this decrepit impotent kind of like laughable Little dick. Well, he's not impotent. Is 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 the I think the on the other side, like the problem with him is that he is potent and that he's viewed as hyper potent. Although, like, yeah, that's the true. whole yeah, thing well, with Trump. Stormy Daniels already told us he has an average dick. It's not weirdly small. It's just average. <laughs> his performance yeah. was average. That's his secret. Like cause he's just average. He's not. Um, well, that's but, the whole thing. But that's the whole thing. Is like most dicks are normal. That's the definition of normal and like since people can't really deal with it. I, I do think we should move on and like talk about a few of like the, the, the kind of movements, um, like manifestations of well, all, like the way all these different contexts like intersect with one another and like they, the way they like kind of erupts into the public sphere. And I think I like, I have, de- I've identified three different examples of it. Yeah. And you've kind of like hint, like broadly hinted at, you, at you, all three of them. Yeah, yeah you yeah, sort but, of, like, there's the intact, intactivism was one of them. I feel like that's what you were kind of speaking to just now, the ones who are, like, obsessed with. They're missing something, and that's, like, the organizing trauma and loss of their whole life, right? Yeah, so let me just, like, outline the three of them, right? And and then we'll, we'll like, I, I want to hear which ones are you're more interested in. One of them is these, like, European parallels to the, the, to the halal and kosher slaughter bands, like, the kind of humanitarian liberal secular bans on uh idea of banning circumcision because of consent and bodily autonomy issues and then this is like that it overlaps but the whole intactivist movement which is this kind of crunchy hippie-ish like everyone should be whole movement where it's like a little bit left-leaning you could say and is connected or has some parallels with the anti-vaccination movement and then thirdly what I've something I've which noticed, like the, 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 the second one also it's you're saying like the body positivity like yeah. which can, can I okay or actually so, yeah, I'll respond to when you're done go for number three then I'll respond okay and then the third one is something I've noticed like online if you look at like right wing web forums like 4chan and stuff like that there's an anti there's an anti-circumcision current there where it's this idea of men being emasculated in modern society and who knows why that is if it's because if it's by feminists or jews you know it's like this it it like it it kind of like brings together a lot of the themes that like 
right wing people are interested in, like like anti semitism, but also like the idea that like Western men are being emasculated. Well, but by um, the way, there's also that uh, on Vox, um, the, their podcast, they talk about this. Uh, Jane Coaston talks about this a lot um, in the African American community. Um, there's like a certain there's like a certain con- conspiracy theory held by men that like Jews are systematically like sterilizing black men and it has a lot of like homophobia a lot of anti-semitism and there's also a lot of kind of misogyny in it and um there's like a name fuck i can't remember there's like a a name for this like philosophical trend it's basically like kanye sort of like shades toward it a little bit because are you talking about hoteps yeah yeah okay hoteps yeah that's interesting yeah they're like the they're like in in certain ways like the african-american parallel to like 4chan to the right but like i'm talking about like normal like i'm talking about like not normal but like it's absolutely not normal like run normal white supremacist um normal white supremacy where they're like they're obviously like obsessed with black men and they're they're like putative like sexual superiority over white men and they're they have identified like circumcision as one of the ways in which like men are diminished yeah in modern so, society right? so c- can i give you some thoughts about about these yeah absolutely the third i i mean i think it's actually interesting how closely a lot of these all, all three might live together but the one i want to talk about was the intactivism the like body positivity thing which kind yeah. of is in the neighborhood with uh, a certain new ageness you know which is hence like the proximity to the anti-vax and i think that there's two really disturbing trends like what again circumcision aside there's two disturbing trends in the existence of these movements like their intellectual formation at least like the shit that they think Mm -hmm. and believe and one is this because you have it in the new age world but it's totally in the alt-right too and it's i don't trust all these elites in lab coats telling me a bunch of mumbo jumbo i don't know how that vaccine works you know i'm not going to use that thing because i don't know how it works and like so a, a book that like has really illuminated for me how fucked up this trend in American life is and how it's very operative on both kind of political and cultural extremes is Fantasyland by Kurt Anderson. He calls it like the fantasy industrial complex. And, you know, in in the internet and social media and Trump, like the right wing seems to ride it the tide higher. But the idea is like, if I don't understand this, I can use that as a means of rejecting it. Which is insane because we all use technology, like none of us understand how fucking the internet works like fully or even like how... You spell packages. How does my refrigerator keep shit cool? Like really, how does that work? That I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but we're all. all using our refrigerator. But yeah. there's this like sort of selective, it's an anti-elitism, anti-intellectualism. Uh, it, it, it kind of has this every man, like if I don't get it, if, I, if you can't explain it to me, then it's like a hoax or a conspiracy or it's like big, it's... I'm saying capital B, big lie. You know, it's the big lie, whether it's big pharma or big whatever. And so it comes from like the initial impulse is maybe a healthy skepticism, but it's really, I would call it kind of like the skepticism of fools. And part of what it relies on, and there's another book or two that I can't remember the name of that The New Yorker did a good review on, is like, if you actually think about it, most of the advances of human society, Sapiens also says this, is based on that we don't know and understand everything. We mm. would not be beyond hunter-gatherer phase if we all had to understand everything. And we, we divide the knowledge across the human species 
you know, so that we can get more shit done. But there's something salacious about thinking that everyone's like, you know, cooked up some shit and you're smart enough to opt out of it. Mm. Like, you know, it's the blue pill thing. Like I see through the bullshit. So red pill, yeah, red pill, my bad. So, you know, I think that is for sure that's going on in the anti-vax world, like whether that extends to like the sort of proximity to the circumcision thing. I mean, it's much less clear cut because I think the the benefits of circumcision medically are are much more. It's much more. It seems to be more of an ambivalent kind of 50 50 case than like, should we fucking vaccinate against polio? But I wanted to point to that intellectual side and then. If I can just say one. Well, more. but yeah, the the main oh, the yeah. main question is like whether you should infringe on like the the freedom of, or the ability of parents to make that decision okay. for their kids, right? Yeah. So that's not like so so the medical case is like fifty fifty. That's why like you should basically just bracket it, right? But um, yeah. But then yeah, so if if the jury's out in the medical world, I mean that's the thing. What one of these authors wrote is like the jury's out, and that's kind of inconvenient for both positions because. The religious communities want the medical science community to kind of be where it was from like 1880 to 1980, which is like this absolutely necessary. Yeah, and it's not. Yeah, and quite, that's what I want to say. Like that—that's like the whole thing is like most of the conversations that that people have about this topic, and that's why I thought it was like it—it it, it would be interesting for us to talk about it. Is that like most of the conversations are people either sincerely or kind of jokingly arguing for the position of like whatever their their status is as like cut or uncut you know so it's like people are either being like yeah like uncut supremacy like kind of joking around or like people legitimately like yeah like i don't think it's right for the jewish or muslim communities to be like wanting the medical community oh to to, yeah to, to, to be telling everyone like if like this is honestly how i feel like if it becomes a solely religious practice then i would be fine with that and i wouldn't have any problem with me me, me too us but, being but, yeah the exception but yeah yeah, yeah well, no me, me too but what i'm saying though is that i think that the reason the religious communities want the medical establishment to endorse it is because that is the grounds of validity that's universally accepted absolutely because yeah, our yeah, yeah. because our culture has such an impoverished understanding of religion the religious epistemology of judaism and islam and in like religions it's like they're like we're not going to win on that court you know so either everyone has to buy like talal asad's like bibliography or we win on the medical court and then conversely the anti-people want to overstate like the risks or whatever but yeah it's a 50 50 thing medically it seems like 51 49 and either way who cares it shouldn't be mandatory and you should be able to like fall back on your cultural or philosophical reasons. And yeah. but so that's what I want to get. That's just like the last point I was going to make is that th- again, in this kind of what I'm calling like a little bit skepticism of fools, like so th- this dude in the guardian that they quote, who's like an, and Max sent me some, some links today. And one of them was like uh, an intactivist activist. And he was like, let the circumcisers have their brand, all the cutting blood, fear, pain, and hate for the human body that goes with it. That, like, you know, that, you know, the circumcisers, the Jews, the Muslims, they hate the body because they're doing shit to it. You know, they must hate the body. And there's this sense of it's an, this is the one thing that I see across the, the anti vax skepticism and the far right skepticism is they are utterly historically ignorant. Mm. You know, like if you know fucking 
anything about Judaism or Islam, you know that like they don't hate the body, like they're obsessed with the body, and and like and it's not it's not just like a, a negative relation to the body at all. It's you know actually, if any religion hates the body, it's Christianity, um, right? If, if you like know your the sources and stuff, but and in so this is the iron, ironic thing. I think at the beginning of the Enlightenment that. The enlighteners set out the positions of like religious people are ignorant and we are informed, but this reversal has happened over the course of the last few hundred years and it's really at, reached a high point now, where I think people from religious cultures tend to have more historical knowledge of the practices that they engage in, the practices that other groups engage in, and the reasonings than people who are from secular culture. Mm, I think that's a really great point. Yeah. Absolutely. That's actually really interesting. Yeah. I, so, so I guess for me in closing, I just wanted to say it's so like these three different kinds of manifestations of anti, anti-circumcision. Like you have the th- three of the things that, that like we are kind of arguing against in this podcast. Like you have on the one hand, you know, the unthinking, unreflecting, false neutrality of liberal secularism on the mm-hmm. one hand. Then on the other hand, you have right-wing you know, white supremacy and paranoid fantasia, psychosexual dysfunction of, of like the reactionary right. And then thirdly, you have this kind of this tendency on the left to like latch on to things and have this kind of hippie-ish, also paranoid, but like just nuttiness, um, like irrationality. Which has um, no sense like, of its own historical genealogy and romanticism and so on, and, you know. Right, exactly. And all of these things are like completely historically illiterate and unreflected. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that like that was why I thought it was such a perfect topic for us to talk about, because all the different kind of arguments against it are, uh, or like the, the anti-circumcision arguments, they illustrate so well some of the some of the things that we're trying to combat here you know what i mean yeah like we're you know do what you want with with your own members but you know when we're thinking in terms of like legal prohibitions and cultural prohibitions or permissibility that if if you think that there's like a, a natural neutral given think a little more and probably you know and also just like pause and what would be the history of of that position because it it Definitely has a history. Everything has a history, you know. Think a little. Literally more. everything. It's a great has motto. A history. Yeah, literally everything. But think a little more. It's a great motto. Just a little, just a little on the tip. All right. Well, thank you, you can for cut that. that. That was a bad one. <laughs> cut, cut that tip. <laughs> cut that tip off. All right. Good right. talking to you, Ethan. Yeah. Tight. Right on. Hey guys, everyone, listeners, uh, write us at literally everything pod at gmail.com if you want to talk to us about uh, your thoughts on circumcision or anything. Hey, hosts, including myself, check the <laughs> inbox on literally everything. I have, it o- I, I have it open. I have it open. Don't okay, tight, tight. I'm reading all the emails from our fans that are rolling in. Superb. Right on. Okay, bye, guys. Bye.